0: Well, we're going to continue our series, Roads to Revival. And if you are jumping in with us, we are going through the Book of Romans. Have you been reading Romans with us? I really hope you have. But if this is your first time here or you're not sure what I'm talking about, uh, we've put together a really easy and manageable reading plan for the Book of Romans. It's two to three chapters a week. We have it broken down for you. So you hear a message on Sunday, and then you go home, and you read those chapters during the week. And if you haven't started yet, or maybe you missed the first two weeks, that's okay, because it's not too late to start. This week, we're going to be reading chapters 6, 7, and 8. And you know, anytime that we engage with God's Word, when we take the time to read it, to think on it, to study it, to be intentional with it, it impacts our day. Maybe as you are reading this, you could grab a couple friends, or maybe as a family you can read it together and then sit down and start to talk about it. Ask each other, what did you see in this? What scripture popped out at you? What do you think this means? That's how you engage with God's Word, And when you do that and you have conversations, that's how God's Word is going to become alive in you. And that's how you're going to grow a passion and a love for knowing more of God's Word. So we're only a few weeks into this series and a few chapters in, but we've already been learning some powerful truths. And there's so much more to discover from this letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church and today, we are going to wake, work our way through Romans chapter 8. And you know what they say, 8 is great. In fact, many theologians have called this chapter one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible. And Paul does not waste one single word, and he gives us 39 verses of assurance. If you've ever needed some assurance or some reassurance, this is the chapter for you. So go ahead and get your Bibles opened up Go to the YouTube version, or not YouTube, (laughs) don't go to YouTube, (laughs) you version, and open up to Romans chapter 8, get your notebooks out, get your pens out, because this is going to be an interactive message this morning. How many of you are excited for an interactive message? The front row is. So, front row, let me tell you something, did you know that 3% of our life's events are highly memorable. That seems crazy, but it's true because I read it on the internet. On YouTube, I heard it on YouTube. Over the course of an average year, approximately 17 experiences will make it into your long-term memory. And the other 97% Well, who knows what happens to that? It just goes into the dark hole of our subconscious. So with that information in mind, you 100% need to take notes 100% of the time at church. So let's get started today. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. So it seemed fitting that I should start there today. And this is what it says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God works. Not only does he work, he works for our good. Maybe you don't see it all the time. And in all of the situations and all of the circumstances you find yourself in. But that's okay because you're not God. Let's keep going. Verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he may be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified those he justified, he also glorified. Wouldn't you agree a lot just happened there? I get lost somewhere between foreknew and justified. But the one word I understand from this is is the word conformed. Did you catch that word in verse 29? It said conformed to the image of his son. We're all being conformed. We're either being shaped and changed by the world, allowing the outside to squeeze and mold us into something, or we come into a relationship with Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us, transforming us from the inside out, giving us a brand new identity, making us more like Jesus. One way or another, we are all going to be Conformed. We're not just doing our own thing. There's no neutral ground. We're either going in the way of the world or the way of heaven. And it all depends where we set our minds. Now, Paul, he has some things about where we should set our mind. Let's look in verse 5. It says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Knowing where our mind is set is important. The stakes are high, and Paul tells us in the very next verse, verse six, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. If I choose a mindset that is me-centered, flesh ruled, world focused, the end result will be death every single time. The desires of your heart will never be fulfilled when we choose a flesh-centered mindset. But when you put your mind on the spirit, when you realize that your life has an eternal purpose, that this is not my home, I'm just passing through. What comes out of you will live on forever and you will have peace. And isn't that what we are all looking for the most? That brings up a question that I want to explore with you over the next few moments. And it's also the title of my message. My question for you is where is your mind set? Where is your mind set? Why don't you ask your neighbor? Say, hey, where's your mindset? Get it set on Jesus, because it's about to get wild. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word that's alive and true. Thank you that it transforms us, that it changes us. Thank you that we're never going to be the same. God, help me. Help me to minister this just as you gave it to me, because, God, I believe there is someone here that needs to hear exactly what you have given me today. Thank you for it, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, if I invited you over to my home and you were to say, Marissa, your home is lovely. Can I have a tour? I would think that's a little bit forward of you, but I would still give you a tour because you complimented my home. And so we would start to make our way through the rooms, and you would probably notice a subtle decorating choice that I have made maybe a theme from room to room. In almost every room of my house, I have a framed picture, a photograph that I have framed and hung on the wall or placed on a dresser or a shelf. I say it's subtle because as much as I love to have pictures displayed, it is not my husband's favorite uh, thing. So we have found a middle ground that we are both happy with. Luckily, he travels a lot, so I always add a few extra in when he's gone. Since I can't have every picture that I've ever taken up, the ones that I do have, those are the most special ones. Those are the ones from the moments that I never want to forget. Because as soon as I see those pictures, I'm reminded Of the moment that it happened and all the memories are flooded back to me. So I asked you where is your mindset? What are the things that you are putting in front of you? Who's in charge of your thoughts? What's the narrative that you've framed in your head? Are the temporary needs of this world ruling your thoughts? Or are you meditating on the eternal? You know, Paul, he paints a beautiful and a powerful picture and gives us the assurance that our minds need. He's woven throughout this whole chapter truths that we can hold on to that will help us navigate this temporary world that we live in with an eternal perspective. You see, in whatever situation or circumstance or issue you are facing, you get to choose where your mind is. And if you want life and peace, you're going to not only need to know the truth, but you're going to need to believe the truth. And you're going to need to repeat the truth. And you're going to need to be shaped by the truth so that you can live in the truth. And how do you do that? Well, just like a framed picture that we put on our wall so we don't forget the memory, we're going to frame some truths, some assurances from this chapter today. Now, there are so many in these 39 verses. I've pulled out just a few. And you may or may not need these in your story today or tomorrow. And every situation is different. But if we're going to have a mindset in the direction that leads us to God, We have to have a God narrative right in front of us. And you know, Paul, he comes right out of the gate in the first verse with a truth that has a power to completely rock your world and upset your way of thinking. Something that I would say every single one of us should frame up and look at every single day, maybe multiple times a day, and it's this in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The first frame that I want you to write down and put up is this, I am free from condemnation. You see, Jesus he came to put the past in the past and we can leave it there. We don't need to live under the condemnation that the enemy likes to put on our life. We put our faith in the finished work of Jesus, so condemnation no longer has a grip on us. I know what you were thinking. That's easier said than done, right? Are you thinking that? If it were easy to do, everyone would do it, but it's not so. So we have to set our minds on the assurance that I am free from condemnation. And here's something that I've learned about freedom from condemnation. It is not based on your feelings. Our feelings will detour us faster than anything else in life. Our feelings are fickle. Half the time, we don't know what we're feeling, and that's why you can't base your freedom on what you feel. It is based on your position. If you are in Christ, if you cross the line of faith and you've said yes to Jesus, he took All the condemnation that you deserved. And it went somewhere. You see, God sent his son Jesus in the flesh and it rested on him. He paid the penalty of it and he died under the weight of it. His death, burial, and resurrection gave us freedom from it. So when you are positioned in Christ, there is no condemnation On you. Now being completely transparent with you this morning, this is an area that I have struggled in and I've been doing some really hard work over the past year specifically with this thought and it's helped me to learn the difference between condemnation and conviction. You see, condemnation is feeling guilty about something that you've already confessed something that you've already repented of something that you've already asked forgiveness from it's feeling guilty or shame over something that you've already dealt with conviction is feeling guilty over sin that you haven't confessed or an issue that you haven't dealt with feeling shame around something that you were trying to hide conviction is healthy and it's holy And as followers of Christ, when we mess up, and we will, we should feel a conviction because that's how we get right with God. So when those feelings of shame, guilt, insecurity, pride, whatever it is, when those well up, ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? Is there something that I need to get out in the open? Or am I just replaying something that's already been taken care of? If it's already been taken care of, then stop thinking about it. Move on. But if it's something that you haven't taken care of, deal with it. Ask for forgiveness. Confess. Make it right. Do it. Just don't keep carrying it with you. Now, there may be consequences to confessing this sin and bringing this to light. But it is much easier To have momentary consequences than eternal condemnation. The second frame for you to put up this morning is this, I am free from the flesh to the degree I am controlled by the Spirit. I am free from the flesh to the degree I am controlled by the Spirit. We started off by reading verse 5 that says, If you live by your flesh, you'll do what your flesh wants. But if you live by the Spirit, you'll do what the Spirit wants. You can't live in a place of neutrality. You're going to be controlled by something. And your flesh loves to tell you what to do. If you don't believe me, just go on a diet for a day. Your flesh loves to tell you what to do. It will control you. It will lead you to decisions, and it will ultimately determine the pathway of your life, the well-being of your family, and your future destination. But you don't have to live that way. There's a better option. You can relinquish control and submit to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to guide you And direct you that's what Paul's telling us in verse 9 you however are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ they do not belong to Christ the day that you put your faith in Jesus is the day that your old self died and when you take that next step And you get baptized and you go under the water. All of your old desires, your old dreams, your old plans go with you. But when you come up, you come up as a new person, a new creation in Christ filled with God's desires and God's plans and God's next steps in your new identity that he's crafted just for you. It's not going to be without struggle. But you're going to have to have your mind set. And when your mind is set on the spirit, there's resurrection power that lives in you. That's what Paul says a few verses down. Verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. God is is wanting to transform you and conform you to the likeness of Jesus. When we give all of ourselves to God, God gives all of himself to us. You get to trade all of your sins for Christ's righteousness. We get the better end of the deal. Salvation is a trade-up. But that means that we give the Holy Spirit some veto power in our life. When you decide to allow your mindset to be ruled by the Spirit of God, when you decide to stop walking as a citizen of this world and start walking in the assurance that you are a citizen of heaven, that you're just passing through and home awaits you, you can live no longer obligated to the flesh. You just have to choose daily to set your mind on the Spirit of God because he's waiting to lead you. The next assurance that I want you to frame today is this. My father is greater than my fear. My father is greater than my fear. Let's look at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God. And through that adoption, we get to carry his spirit, and we no longer have to carry a spirit of fear. And when we are living and operating in fear, it just lets us know where our mind is set. When I'm operating in fear, my mind is set on my flesh. Now, you can sit up at night and worry. You can fret. You can make yourself anxious about all of the what-ifs and the how-comes. Or you can know I have a father and I can call on him and he runs the whole universe. And he's got this. And he's got me. In our family, my husband is the bedtime parent. Any bedtime parents in here? You're the ones that puts the kids to bed? He's really good at it. It's his time to connect with our kids, The kids don't like it when I have to do bedtime with them because it's short, it is not sweet, and it usually involves a large dose of melatonin. (laughs) But dad's bedtime routine, that's a party. There's muscle comparison, there's squeezing, there's giggling, there's praying that they become 6'2", all kinds of things. Our kids have a lot of faith. But there's one rule with the bedtime routine. It's like fight club, one rule. When dad is done and he leaves your room, he is done for the night. And if you get back out of your bed, it's not gonna end well for you. Now over the course of our parenting, at one point or another, all four of our children have tried the famous, there's a ghost in my room scenario. What they don't know is as a pastor's kid, you never bring a ghost into the story. Because if you do, Pastor Daddy will say, the only ghost we believe in is the Holy Ghost, and you want him in your room. Now go back to bed. (laughs) So at some point in all of our children's lives, they've done something like this. But also somewhere in parenthood, you learn the skill of Just being able to know when something's off, or when something's seriously wrong. It's called being led by the Holy Spirit, and you'll never survive parenthood without it. Well, there was a night, several years back, that started out really normal for us. Bedtime routine, everyone was in bed. We drifted off to sleep, and I was woken up around 1 o'clock in the morning by my phone ringing. I grabbed it. I saw that it was Reese, who was supposed to be asleep in his bed in the basement. I don't think that I even said hello when I picked up the phone, but the most frantic voice I heard on the other end was Reese saying, someone Is trying to break in to my room. We're all the way upstairs. He's all the way downstairs. There's a whole floor in between us. As soon as we heard those words, my husband, who sleeps harder than a rock, flew out of our bedroom and started to run downstairs. His only priority in that moment was to get to his son who called out to him now me on the other hand i'm yelling like grab a shoe get a pot from the kitchen what if you have to knock out an intruder we work really well together in high stress situations but there was no thought in justin's mind other than getting to reese now what happens next doesn't matter too much but what does matter Is the lesson that Reese learned from this. There's probably a lot of lessons, but I'm only gonna give you two. Actually, I'm gonna give you a bonus one, a third one that we all learned. First, lesson number one, frogs and toads make two very different noises. (laughs) Lesson two, when a frog falls into your window well, It will lose its mind and create a ruckus trying to free itself from said predicament that may sound like an intruder. The second, or the third lesson, and the most important lesson that Reese learned that night was that in a moment of his greatest fear, all he had to do was call out and his father was right there when reese when reese was afraid his dad got into the space where he had the fear and the same is true with our relationship with our heavenly father he's in our space he's in our circumstance he's In the thing that keeps you up at night. And the answer to your fear isn't get more faith. The answer to your fear is to get more of your father. You see, none of us are exempt from moments of fear in our life. There will be things that we face and navigate and walk through, but the moment that Jesus fills up your life, you can encounter those times with the assurance that your Heavenly Father is right there with you. You have his number. You get to call out to him. You don't have to be tormented by the darkness. You can know that you are a son or a daughter of God, and the cross paid the price once and for all, and we just have to believe it. Let's look at verse 16. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And since we are his children, there's some benefits that we get. In verse 17 it says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Do you hear what Paul is saying to you? He's saying, hey, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You've been adopted into his family. And not just that, you're an heir, a co-heir with Christ. You get the exact same inheritance that Christ gets. Everything that he has, peace, joy, love, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, all of those things, you get it too. Here's what you can set your mind on and frame as an assurance today. I am in God's will. I don't know. Maybe you have a rich Uncle Scotty out there somewhere, and you're his favorite, and you know that when Scotty goes, you're going to get a lot. I, I hope I hope that's true for you, but that's not the story for most of us. But as a child of God, whatever Christ has, we have it too. And as you allow the Spirit of God to illuminate the truth within you through the Word, through community, through prayer, you watch as those attributes become clearer and clearer. The questions that you once had about what is my purpose What am I called to? You will start to find purpose wherever you go. You were made to be a child of God, and it is not enough for me to stand up here this morning and say that to you. It's something that only the Spirit himself can solidify within your heart. That's why you have to press in to a relationship with your Heavenly Father. He's calling you a son of God, a daughter of God. I love the way that the Passion Translation says these verses. Let's look at 16 in the Passion Translation. It says, For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into your innermost being, You are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, We qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we will also inherit all that he is and all that he had. We will experience being co-glorified with him, providing that we accept his sufferings as our own. What Christ has, we have. But that doesn't mean we won't face some sufferings in this life in fact it's very much the opposite but what's coming in the future hold on for that and look at verse 18 it says i consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us if you are in a season of waiting of waiting patiently God's plan for you is to not just waste the time until the answer comes. God's will for your life is that as you wait, you allow the Holy Spirit to come and start filling you now. That as you wait, the Spirit will move and the Spirit will fill you with hope. Not just hope for the future, but hope for the present. Hope for the right now, for your day today. Hope for your morning tomorrow. Now, many of us, we find ourselves in a season where we're just enduring. Oh, just trying to survive. Just trying to get by. We aren't meant to survive or get by. We're not meant to just endure it or wish it away. What do you do when you feel like you're just enduring? When your feelings are starting to make you doubt, what do you do when you don't even have the words to pray to God because the pain that you are facing is so real that it has literally silenced you? Well, Paul knows where you're at. In verse 26, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, He's not just there for our triumph moments. The Spirit is there for your weakest moments. It says, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. When you don't know what to do or have the words to say, all you need to do is find yourself in God's presence. He knows us and our hearts, and even when we don't have the words to say, he intercedes for us. Our God is so much bigger than we can even comprehend, and Paul goes on with the next verse, the very first verse that we started with today, verse 28, and it says, And we... No. Do you know? We know that in all things, somebody say all things. all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And here's an assurance that you can set your mind on. God will work it out. God does not waste one season. He doesn't waste one tear. He doesn't waste one issue. He weaves them all together in a masterful mosaic. And if it's not worked out, that means God's not done yet. And some things may not be worked out on this side of heaven. There may be things that we don't see and fully understand until we get there. But there will be a moment where we say, thank you, God, for working in that. Where would I be if you hadn't been working in that? Only you, God, could do that. In a broken world like this, only you, God, could work it out. So don't discount the season that you were in. Now this chapter ends with one of the most powerful truths and assurances to set your mind on. And if you've written nothing else down today, this is what you need to write down. Put it in your Bible. Make a note in your phone. Make it the home screen on your phone. Put it on a sticky note and smack it right in the mirror. Frame this. Set your mind on this. Nothing can separate me from God's love. Nothing can separate me from God's love. Paul drives this home in verse 31, and he says, What then? shall we say, in response to this things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There can be people against us. Sure there can. But who are they? Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Drop down to verse 37. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced, Paul is saying, I need you to know my mind is set. You are more than a conqueror. That means you're a conqueror and then some. He says, I am convinced nothing can sway me. That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us. From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul knows what he was talking about. And he was so sure of the love of Jesus that nothing could separate him from it. His assurance allowed him to take the gospel around the globe. It allowed him to be shipwrecked and keep going. It allowed him to be imprisoned and write letter after letter after letter and so much more than you and I could ever imagine. Paul knew that he could not be separated from the love of God. Your situation and your story right now, it might not be great. It might not be ideal, It might not be what you imagined for yourself, but this is the assurance we have. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. The question isn't, was Paul convinced? We know he was. The question is, are you convinced? Are you convinced today that nothing can separate you from the love of God? Are you convinced that that sickness you've had and have been dealing with that's plagued you, that's hindered you, can you believe that that won't separate you from God's love? What about the depression that's been creeping in? Are you convinced that that can't separate you from God's love? The heartbreak, the trauma can't separate you from the love of God. Fear, any issue that you are facing cannot separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You just need to frame these truths up all around you. Make this chapter, chapter 8, your mindset because this is your future this is your hope tomorrow morning when you wake up and you still have that issue nothing can separate me God this is God's word for you to walk in this is the assurance, the authority the confidence that all of heaven is around you, cheering you on as you Walk out your God-given purpose. Nothing can separate you from his love.